they are who we thought they were. That's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. Dennis Green, head coach, Arizona Cardinals, October 16, 2006. That's a statement made during a post-game press conference after the then 5-0 Bears narrowly escaped defeat at the hands of a 1-4 Arizona Cardinals team. The Bears were on their way to the Super Bowl that year. It was the second appearance for the franchise in its history, and they were widely touted as the best team going into that Super Bowl. They didn't end up getting crowned. The Indianapolis Colts, Peyton Manning, Tony Dungy, didn't buy into the hype. They didn't buy into the story that the media had told them that this was the best team in the country and possibly one of the best teams in history. They played the game and they won. That's why the races are run. That's why the games are played. That's why we put the teams to the test. Statistics will only get you so far. History will only bring you to the cusp of the present. You actually have to play the game. And for those who tuned in on Friday night to see a coronation of Legion of Los Angeles, well, Project Echelon, A.E. Volo, Wildlife Pro, Elevate, and Fount Cycling Guild had a different story. They were ready to put Legion to the test. And we, the fans, were the ones who got the benefit of it. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We have an all-star cast today. I'm not going to belabor too much going into it. We all know the winners, Kendall Ryan from Legion of Los Angeles and Luke Lamperde of Trinity Racing, Michael Bodekheimer, Bill Scheichen, Celine Oberholzer. We're going to break it all down for you. I want to tell you before we get into it, WideAnglePodium.com. It's the network that this show is a part of. Go there, WideAnglePodium.com, find out more about the shows, and please consider becoming a member. Subscribe, donate, help this content creator-owned effort. This show is brought to you by Source Endurance, source-e.net, your home for all the best in endurance coaching and nutrition services, all of it, all designed to make you a better athlete. Go there, check it out, find what you want, and when you do, Criterium Nation, all one word, at checkout, $50 off. So, Michael Bodekheimer, Bill Scheichen, Celine Oberholzer, they're all here, ready to break it down, and we're getting to that right now. I'm joined this week by two people who don't need an introduction, but since you're not on the Zoom call here, I'm going to introduce them anyways. First and foremost is the documentarian, producer, director of Hot Lap Summer, Michael Bodekheimer, all the way from New Orleans, and the guy who knows more about bike racing than he will ever let on, but also plays the curious noob so very well on so many other podcasts here on the Wide Angle Podium, Bill Scheichen. This is dangerous. I know anytime I pitch it over to Michael and ask, how are you doing, Michael? We get a good response. So here it goes. How's it going, Michael? Good, good. I had I had a, a really good uh, carne asada tacos today. Oh, the, the beef? Are you talking about the beef? 
I was unprepared. I can't believe I forgot. I've just been rusty. I haven't podcasted in a while. I forgot about my puns. Sorry, Rob. That's okay. Bill, what's going on on, in Northeast DC these days? Rob, it's hot. It's humid. I decided as I I made the decision to start riding my bike again. I went out at uh, 3.30 p.m. today just to make sure I could take advantage of all of the heat uh, down on top of me. But um, that's about it. The cicadas are gone. I think that's the biggest thing to report. I had to run my car through a car wash twice to remove the cicadas. And and that's just the distance between D.C. and Ohio on the drive all the way to Tulsa. This might have been the three biggest weeks in Criterium Racing in recent American history with Armed Forces, Tulsa, Crit Nationals, Harlem Skyscraper, and the beginnings of the Tour of America's Dairyland. Guys, I want to talk first and foremost about nationals. And I don't think we can talk about Criterium Nationals in Knoxville without first covering the course and second covering what kind of happened outside of it. So talking about Legion of Los Angeles. So let's talk first about the course here in Knoxville. This is not the quintessential figure eight, an L shape, six corner, four corner, whatever it happens to be. It's kind of like this I don't know what you would call it, almost like a kidney-shaped course where half of it is up, half of it is down. Half of it is super wide open. Half of it is really, really narrow. And so a lot of these races, both the men's and the women's, you know, had to factor that in. And the two races couldn't have been run more differently as far as the first 90, 95% of it. But the last three corners, both in the men's and the women's race, ended kind of the same way, which was in controlled chaos with crashes happening in the last three corners, which were the decisive corners. I want to know, Bill, coming from your angle, coming from cyclocross, where course construction is so fundamental to the race, what did you think of how these courses played out? I think that you are correct in that course construction is fundamental to the race, but I also think that the ultimate responsibility for how the races turn out are up to the riders. And that that's something that, that we preach in cyclocross, in mountain biking, in everything, the riders make the race. So you could have the most exciting course in the history of criterium racing And if everybody is just soft pedaling it, waiting for a moves that never come, it's going to be a boring race. You can say the same thing for mountain bike. You can say the same thing for cyclocross on the opposite side. You could have the most boring course, but if they were tearing each other's legs off, you're going to have an exciting race. So I I think that I, I would put less emphasis maybe on course design. And again, I'm coming, I'm the outsider looking in to this, then what the plans of the teams racing in it did. And I, I think on the men's side, you have some teams coming in there who like to be instigators like a Volo. They're just going to go. But I also think that on the women's side, you had this, this team I'd never heard of the, the cycling guild found who was just sending woman after woman off the front. And it was pretty cool to watch, you know? So it, it may have been, they may have grouped up more in that race and it wasn't as dynamic, but at least 
from what I could see, one team was at least trying. Yeah. So, Bodhi, coming from Tulsa, you were there the last week doing the work that you're doing with automatic racing. Tulsa, totally different course construction from this one. Coming from Tulsa, I think it was kind of a, a letdown for me in terms of the course. Armed Forces, too. Armed Forces had some really, especially on Sunday, that's that's quite a quite a crit course. Um, very dynamic, lots of turns. So you, to, to go those caliber of courses and then go to crit Nats and it to be at this Knoxville course, which I know they've raced in 2019. They've probably done it before. I'm not sure. But like it is, like you said, Rob, half of it is the last half is feels like a crit course. And that other half, it, it's just, it's like a, it's an office park criterion. And the one thing that I sort of noted was that the course does, you know, will affect how the riders race. And if you look at Tulsa on Sat a Friday Blue Dome versus Tulsa on Saturday, you saw an occasion where Legion, because the course is more narrow, could really make it their race and control things. And and there was not room for two trains. But at Knoxville, it was so wide open that you could have multiple trains. You could have riders fanning across the road like so there is no there is no pinch point there is no valve where the the lead team can sort of control it i mean it is a fight till that third corner at knoxville so it it did make a different race and i i think legion did in the end do most of their game plan but you did see as bill said you saw avola who wasn't at tulsa and wildlife who wasn't at tulsa kind of come in and shake things up. So in the end, we still got a dynamic race, but not a fan of that course. And I know it, not to ramble on too much, but I know it also has to kind of do with USAC and finding host cities. So it's not totally like, you know, I don't know. I put out the idea that Crittinat should be Tulsa Friday every year. You've got the fans. You've got a great course. You've got a great infrastructure already built in. I mean, similar to uh, U.S. Pro being in Philly, like maybe that's an option. I don't know. Maybe it's a crazy idea. I always liked Downers Grove. It was a figure eight course that comes up out of a railway valley here in Chicago. It served as nationals for years. Brad Huff said already the only real national champs were those who won at Downers. <laughs> so anybody who won post-2012 or 2013, they're not apparently real national champs. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's the original crit beef, probably. You talk about Legion, and you're talking about the way that Legion was controlling the race or not controlling the race. That's clearly on the men's side. On the women's side, everything about that race course screamed out Skylar Schneider, Kendall Ryan, Legion of Los Angeles. I tweeted out with three laps to go, congrats, Skylar or Kendall, whoever wants to win it, you're going to win it because that course just played into their hands. We're talking about Legion, so we can't not talk about the absence of one critical player. Now, crit racing is a team sport, and you bring your top six, or in the case of crit nationals, it seems to be unlimited, the number of racers. I mean, Fount had nine women. They had one-sixth of the women's field. Justin Williams, not at Criterium Nationals. It wasn't a surprise. was not a shock. He talked about it in March. He heads to Belize, wins the Belize National Road Race. Legion now has three different national champs on their team. 
the Mexican Road Race National Champ, the Belize Road Race National Champ, and Sky uh, San, uh, Kendall Ryan, the Women's Criterium Champ. A lot of hot takes out there on whether or not that was smart, appropriate, the best choice for Justin to go to Belize, to go through the process of becoming, you know, a Belize licensed bike racer. Bill, what do you think about this this strategy from an overall perspective? I agree with you that there are a lot of hot takes on Justin Williams deciding not to participate in U.S. nationals, either in road or crit, you know, and this was the, the basis of crit beef. So this, this could have been like a big chapter in what began as crit beef. I think that all of us believe, and we may discuss, I'm not sure if crit beef has evolved from there into something bigger and doesn't necessarily have to do just with, uh, McCabe and, and Justin Williams, but for this decision itself, uh, you know, Michael was on this early. He let us all know that, that, and you mentioned it, that he on his podcast in March, that Justin said that he wasn't going to race, uh, us pro that he was going to to get this uh, second license and and go to Belize and he has dual na- uh, nationalship and citizenship excuse me and and do that and i i kind of like it because legion has i think not made many missteps in the building of this team of the marketing of this team and just the plan that they have and you mentioned the three jerseys that they had now th- they had their eyes on that fourth jersey this was supposed to be Corey's crit championship that was the plan and then they would still hold that u.s crit championship and it would be the pro crit championship so you could take all of that chapter one crit beef and just just lay it lay it to rest because it wouldn't matter anymore but that doesn't mean crit beef dies it just moves on to the next chapter so i i kind of liked it and i and i i don't understand a lot of the criticism that Justin and Legion are getting for that decision and a lot of other decisions. What I see from other teams that are the, these rumblings about how Legion are doing things, I see it as jealousy. I see it as they are in a position, they are getting all of this press and you can see, oh, they don't deserve all this press. They don't deserve all this media attention. You know what? They went out and they sought that media attention and they went out and they did all of the right things. I'm pretty sure they have a marketing person working for them. How many other teams have that? I don't think there are many, if any, they did that. You know, people are like, oh, they did it all through a a crowdfunding thing. It's like, so what? Go do your own crowdfunding. If you think that you're that good to raise that money and you want to do this with your team and lift it up, do it. But at this point, there's one team that's making all of the right moves. And I, I, I don't know what you can criticize them for. And, and just one last point on that. The only races I've been at were armed forces and Legion was there. Legion did not win at, uh, Crystal city, the crystal cup. There was a breakaway. Justin won the field sprint, did a little rock the baby posted up on a field sprint. And I know got a lot of crap for doing that. And at first I was even like, ah, that doesn't seem like the best thing to be doing on a, on a uh, field sprint. But after I went back and thought about it, when we were all at, armed forces, I would say 60 to 70% of the people there watching were there to see Legion. They wanted to see that team. They wanted to see the Williams brothers. They, if you looked around at that crowd, demographically, 
they didn't look like the three of us look like. It wasn't three, it wasn't white guys, three white guys out there who were cheering for Legion. And that's not to say they don't have universal appeal because I think that a majority of the crowd, no matter what their, you know, ethnic, cultural, racial background was, were cheering for these guys. But it was distinct in that all of the predominantly African-American clubs in the D.C. area, which there are quite a few and they're big and they're strong, were out there to see the Williams brothers. They were out there with their kids to see the Williams brothers. They were getting stoked about bikes. They were getting stoked about bike racing. And Justin and Corey both staying afterwards, signing autographs. And these guys are not world tour guys. These guys are not professional basketball players. They're they're bike racers in America. We know how that goes. Yet there were people who wanted their autograph. There were people who wanted to take a selfie with them. And they did that. And they 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 allowed the crowd to to have them for that. And I, I don't I don't know how you argue against that. I don't see how any of that is is bad for racing. And and if they're going to be confident and they're going to show some swagger, hell yeah, go for it. That's what we want. That's what we want in sports. That's what makes it exciting. So that he went to Belize. Awesome. Glad he did it. I just want to add on to that and say at Tulsa, Bill, very similar. A lot of fans in Legion gear thought it was great to see. You know, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, all tides, tides lift all boats, right? So I, I, I have seen some riders who I won't mention their name, but I don't think they've raced crits. They were going for the Olympics. Now they're, now they're kind of maybe talking a little trash about Legion needs to go move on and, and, and move out of the States and go to Europe. And I'm like, why? What? Like crit racing is American and we have, they are a, a dynamite team. We've had three dynamite weekends of crit racing. I see this as an opportunity for for other teams to capitalize on this and try and grab some of that stoke and build up their programs. I mean, look, I'm trying to like one of the things we've talked a lot about on the media pit regarding cyclocross is we sort of get into the the, the toppers, the subtoppers, and the middlers, and, and and we discuss this varying levels because like there's always one winner, but there are often oftentimes many engaging stories down that line of finishers, and so I think there are plenty of opportunities for other teams to build these narratives, and instead of looking at Legion as a negative, this is a positive. Um, the Williams brothers built this thing all on their own, the sponsors came to them. So they are doing, they're, they're, they're following the path that they have set forward and they're moving forward in the way they want to do it. And as I said, they wanted, Justin wanted to to wear the Belize uh, national road champion Jersey. And that's awesome. That's just like another interesting wrinkle in this story of Amer- American uh, crit racing. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited that I'm working with Automatic Racing and trying to create stories with them. I I, I know that Sam Smith of Behind the Barriers is doing videos with a Volo. Like, so there these are just opportunities for these teams to get those stories out. Rob, you are telling stories. I I, I like it. I, I'm I'm ready for the crit beef to move on from from McCabe and Justin. I think that's kind of over. It's over because of the victories Allegiance had over best buddies. It's over because national champs is over. And so we have different people in the jerseys now. So we've moved on, but it, it is going to be something different from here on out. And I'm excited for the rest of the year, guys. What is Crip Beef now? How has it moved on? I mean, it is no longer Justin and Justin and Travis. It is no longer Legion and best buddies. 
you know, I would posit that crit beef is the old versus the new, the past versus the present, the raising up of the bar. One person can make up a meaning, but that doesn't make it real. What do you guys think is the meaning? I, I think you're right. And I think it's what we're all looking for in that we always talk about narrative. We always want a story from beginning to end in a season. And I think that the crit beef was a great place to to, to jump off from that. I know that uh, I, I've I've gotten some some pushback. I know we all have by using crit beef. They're like, it's dumb. It's over. Stop it. Don't use it anymore. So if it needs to have another name, fine. Give it another name. But there has to be something that has that tension, that has that story. And just one point, I want to go back to what Michael was saying about crit racing being American. I 100% agree with that. It was funny because I put that, I actually had a tweet about this, about this is this is kind of an American style of racing. And some guy, of course, was like, if you don't understand that circuit races started in Europe, and if you don't know what a Kermes is and blah, 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 um, you know, and came after me that. And I was like, look, I think you know what I'm saying. You know, I'm not saying that Americans invented circuit racing, but the way it is done in the U.S., is different than it's done anywhere else. And you can ask European racers who have come over here and raced in U.S. crits that it is a different experience than anything they do anywhere else. And what we talk about a lot in cyclocross and the struggles that we have in the domestic scene is that we want to create an American cyclocross, an American style of cyclocross. Uh, we are uh, purveyors in in the belief that how we do cyclocross in America is different than how we do like they do cyclocross in Europe. It's great to go to Europe. Those you know, as as I always say, you know, race locally. You know, cheer globally. You know, you want to see the heroes. You want to see the superstars. They're in Europe. I don't. I don't. You know, want to say that anybody should not go and chase that. However, we can build something here that is almost a different discipline that people can then stay here, make a living as an athlete racing their bikes and, and never have to go to Europe if they don't want to. That should not be the ultimate goal. I think that's the point here, Rob. And I think that that is something that you would agree with that Criterium Racing can get to a point, And I think it almost was at one point in the, in the past where people can make a good living just racing Criterium Racings. And you can start as a junior and say, hey, that's something I want to do. It's not go climb the Alpe d'Huez. I want to be like the best crit racer in the U.S. And that's something important. And I, I think that's that's what, what I would love to see happen. And to do that, you got to tell stories. And the stories are what we started with, with Crit Beef. Where that goes next, I don't know. I mean, there's this whole thing with different races and different series not playing well together. I think that plays into it as well. There's so many different chapters here. I think there are different riders that we're going to see get better on the men's and the women's side. Heck, we're not even talking about the Legion women who are arguably more dominant than the Legion men. I mean, there, there are so many, there are so many King and Queens of the mountains right now that need to be knocked off. And those are the stories that have to be told. So call it what you want. You don't want to call it creepy. You think that's dumb. You think it's over fine, but that storyline has to go on. And that's, that's the most important thing to make this a successful season now and to build it going forward. I, I think crit beef is that desire to check Twitter and refresh it every five minutes to see who won toad because you want to know who's winning the races whether the big guys are away at nats crit beef is checking instagram and checking your favorite team's instagram story to see what the latest news is what what they're doing i think crit beef 
it is getting excited about crit racing. It is something we missed. We missed a whole year of it. And so I think crit beef is the sort of collective emotion, collective involvement with, with crit racing and that community that we want to get together with. So there, there, there's one answer for you. And I love everything about that. I absolutely do. I think it's great. And I think that crit beef is unstoppable. I've joked. It's not the moment. It's not a moment. It's the movement. But it is. And Bill's 100% right that the Legion women are the most dominating force in bike racing right now. And it's two. It's two women, Skylar and Kendall. Now, you had Amber come in for a couple of races. You've had Katie Keogh, cyclocross racer extraordinaire, come in and not only just participate, but go off the front at Pro Crit Championships for a little while. So let's dig into the women's racing. Results are very simple. Kendall Ryan, the crit queen, is now your national champion for 2021, followed by Megan Jastrab, the U23 champ, Corinne Rivera, both of DSM, and then Alexis Ryan, a relation of Kendall. We can get into that and how there might have been a little bit of a lead out from sister to sister, but coming in fifth, Skylar Schneider, so Legion of Los Angeles. The women from Legion are clearly dominant here, and I feel like it could have been either of them at any point in time, Kendall or Skylar. So, Michael, take it away from there and talk about kind of what you think about that podium as a whole. You've got European pros, you've got American pros, you've got the whole mix coming together. Well, I think one of the exciting things about US pro weekend uh, crits and nationals is that weekend where we get to see all the Euro pros come back to the States and race um, the World Tour riders, uh, race against the Conti guys. You know, this this year we had domestically and USA crits D1 teams were allowed to participate at pro road and crit nats. Um, so it is always exciting to see what can happen. You know, a lot of times those world tour riders will come over and they're only by themselves. They don't have any teammates. And so they have to go up against stronger teams, bigger numbers. Um, but you look at that podium and you're seeing Kendall Ryan, who is dominating in America right now. And then you have two um, women, Megan Jastrab and Corn Rivera, who are over in Europe racing for Team DSM. So... It's it makes sense that that's that's the podium there. We mentioned this team earlier. Speaking of sort of this this opening up nationals to the the, the lower division teams, we had Fount Cycling who um, animated the race um, from the gun. And I, I made the joke on Twitter that if your kit was green, you had to at- uh, green kit attack Nats. That seemed to be a, ve- a volo in the men's race and Fount Cycling in the women's race. Both of them brought nine riders to the field, the most of any team. And they threw bombs all day. And I think that provided for a really interesting race. Um, it was pretty exciting because we got to learn about Michelle Howe, who is apparently a bobsledder, if I'm getting that correct. or And then who had just won the tour of Walla Walla, which is near and dear to my heart because it's from the part of the country where I grew up. Um, so that was cool. But at the end of the day, um, all of their their weapons were for naught because like I said, it, it came down to the riders who have been at the front already. Um, and I, I think Kendall Ryan, you know, I made the joke on Twitter also that she had a stomach of anger cause she was, you know, got snubbed for the Olympics. And I know that early in the year we had heard that she was on the team Legion, but she was really completely focusing on the track and the Olympics. And so this wasn't going to be her scene and she didn't get the call up 
And boy, howdy, have we as fans uh, benefited for that reason because she has put on a show. The strategies of the teams have played into their hands so well so often. Maggie Coles Lister, obviously not there because she's Canadian. And in this in this particular race, it, it matters. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out where uh, Michael Woods was. I've been told by the slow ride that he's America's favorite, <laughs> but he wasn't there. I'm not sure. So, you know, there, there right now doesn't seem to be an answer to Kendall Ryan or to Legion. Because the way that this works out is that Fount gets up the road again and again. Michelle Howe stays up the road for almost ever. And you start to think that maybe kind of sort of it's gonna stick, but it doesn't. And then you get down there with three laps to go. And with three laps to go, just like almost every night at Tulsa, the pace slows down. And you get the eight person across the road going the downhill part. And it's like you're just playing into their playbook because Kendall has more pop more power, more strength than almost anybody else in that field with the exception of maybe Skyler, maybe Corinne. And when you've got people on the same team who can trade on and off, it's just, it's just a, it's a, it's a, a double ended weapon that you can't beat. What is it that the American women are going to have to do in order to dethrone the crit queen this year? Or is there anything? I mean, that's a good question, Rob, because I think Armed Forces and Tulsa were sort of two examples of sort of the races we're going to get and the teams that are going to be there. And obviously, you talked about Maggie Coles Lister. Sorry if I got that wrong, but she's Canadian. But I, I think she, I think DNA has a strong enough team to sort of to be there. I, I think it is about those, you need the numbers and you need the strong team. And Skylar and Kendall are very strong, but at the end of the day, there are there are two women, right? So you, there are ways where you can isolate them, um, and there are ways around that if you don't play into their game. I don't know if I'm 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 the right person to ask this, Rob. But I here's what I'll say: I love this podcast, and I, I I've told you this before, but just the the time and 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 just the the, the thoughtfulness that you put into just creating a narrative and building a story and all of the editing that people don't see behind it that goes into it. I, I'm sure when we hear this, when it comes out, there's going to be this beautiful erudite introduction that is well-researched and well-thought-out and brings in themes from history or popular culture or everything else. And what I think is that you're you're at the point now, Rob, where, where you are so good at building that beautiful podcast story that it it's important that you get you, you get challenged we, we got to challenge you sometimes we got to throw you off your game you can't always be have have everything set out ahead of time and then just you know have it have it play out like you want you can't be the puppet master always sometimes sometimes the puppets have to come to life so rob what i want to ask i feel like i'm about to be punched in the face and my game plan is completely gone. Rob, what I want to ask you, why do you hate Corinne Rivera? <laughs> so inside story here is during the course of the live tweeting that I did for U.S. Pro Nationals, I made a somewhat um, sarcastic, snarky, Tim Hayes-esque drinking game out of Corinne Rivera. 
And every time that she was mentioned during the course of the live tweet, the live stream by Scott or by uh, Lauren Hall, that I would encourage people to drink. It stems from 2019, and it has nothing to do with Corinne at all. It has more to do with the broadcast than it does anything. During 2019, you would not have known that Emma White was in the race. The eventual winner of the race almost never got mentioned. But during the live stream, every 45 seconds to a minute and a half, Corinne Rivera was brought up. And it was never because she had done something in the race. It was because she was racing alone. And the broadcasters kept mentioning, Corinne Rivera, she's all here by herself. Corinne Rivera, she's all here by herself this year. She's on Sunweb. Her team is out in Europe. She can't have any support. She's going to have to sit. She's going to... And Corinne played a perfect race during the course of 2019 for a rider who was by herself. Emma White was not by herself. She brought a full rally, rally squad, and they played perfectly into a strategy of control, defeat, and ultimately win. And so the drinking game was just based off that. And it wasn't that I had forgotten that Megan Jastrap was there and that she was a teammate, but it was just it was just my own personal way of creating an inside joke for the show. And so I do not hate on Corinne. I love Corinne, her passion for the sport, the fact that she has more national titles than almost all of bike racing men put together. I think she's got like well over 100 national titles. So no, Bill, I don't hate. I don't hate. I just got to find levity in in some way, shape, or form during a live stream. And that was my levity for this year. Let's talk about those last three corners because it was picture-perfect control. And it's what was lacking, and it's a perfect way to transition to the men in the last three corners in the men's race. In the women's race, obviously Kendall and Skyler and, and the women who excelled in that race had listened to our show with Travis and had listened to our show with Emma because they knew you had to be in the top three coming into the third corner for you to win the race. And that's exactly where Kendall was. She came into there in the top three. She comes out winning by a kilometer a country mile. I'm not sure which one is larger. I'm going with a country mile. One track length. One track length. She crushed it. Why was it that nobody saw that coming? Or is it, you know, you as a commentator just looking at it saying, oh, they let them do that. They let them do that. And it's not they let them do it. You had no choice at that point in time. The best came and the best performed. Michael, was there a way around Kendall Ryan winning that race after the third corner to go? Um, after the third corner to go? No, there wasn't. Because she, she, I mean, Megan, Megan Jastrab tried. And she's a crit racer before she went to the world tour. She tried. She tried to be first at that third corner. Kendall saw what she was doing, jumped off her sister's wheel, and just beat her to that corner, took the inside line, uh, Megan had to go a bit wide. And at that point, Kendall, Kendall was off the races. Like you said, Rob, I don't know if there's any way to change that outcome if you are all coming together. It's not as fast as it was before up that last drag. I mean, it was, it was a perfect opportunity. Um, I, I, like, like I said, you had to give it up 
for Megan though, for making that effort and, and, and she tried. Let's pause here for a second, guys. Let's hear from Celine about the events in Toad, two of America's Dairyland and the cheese curd paradise that is Wisconsin. And then we'll be right back. talk about another event that's coming up on July 3 this year in Anniston, Alabama. The Sunny King Criterion. Known as the King of the Crits of the South, Sunny King has been happening in Anniston, Alabama for the last 30 years. Get down there to Anniston, Alabama for your opportunity to become one of Crit royalty alongside former winners like Corinne Rivera, Kendall Ryan, Skylar Schneider, and Summer Moak. There is a lot to offer in Anniston, Alabama. Not only do you have a live stream for amateur and professional events, the pro teams are catered to with an event on July 2 before the opening of the races on July 3. And then again, after the races are over, there's another dinner for the teams. It's only 90 minutes away from Atlanta's Hartsfield International Airport, so it's super convenient. And payout is incredible. $25,500 split equally between the men and the women. Register today at AnnistonCycling.com and use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION, all one word, for 10% off your entry. And we'll see you in Anniston, Alabama on July 3. So, Celine, we're here. It's midweek through... Uh, an 11-day block for you at Toad. So there's a lot to cover with Toad. There's a lot to cover with bike racing that doesn't have anything to do with nationals. I thought we'd first start with New York City and with Harlem. Neither of us are there right now, and there's no live stream of Harlem, so we really don't have much in the way of, of information to talk about other than to say on the men's side, it was uh, Davy Dawson in third place, Sam Rosenholt of ButcherBox in second place, and, and a guy from from the Foundation CCB team, who all I know is he's from Guyana. So, like, cool, great. I love it. I wish we would have actual results and a live stream, and I kind of wish that he would put his name on his Instagram feed so I could find him. On the women's side, I thought that the result was kind of interesting. Friend of the pod... Recent guest on the show, Tiffany Thomas, ends up in second place. She wins her first field sprint in the Cat 1-2-3 field. So, like, things are obviously going her way. But your teammate, Melanie Wolfpack, she ends up winning a sprinter's race from a solo breakaway. Have you had a chance to talk to her about it? Yeah, so immediately after the race... Kristen, Julie, and Mel sent updates to the team to let us know how everything went. And it sounds like they raced exactly how they needed to based on how everyone was feeling. Because Julie had a 10-hour drive, I think, the day prior. And Melanie and Kristen both flew in. And everyone kind of evaluated that their legs were not feeling particularly explosive. So the strategy was basically to get into a breakaway and make it really hard for the bona fide sprinters who were there because if it came down to a field sprint, none of them had the engines to make it happen. So it sounds like it was just attack after attack after attack. And eventually Kristen and Julie were like, Mel, you should go now. And Mel was like, okay. And she went and then she was solo off the front for 45 minutes. 
Um, and Kristen and Julie just covered everything that tried to follow and basically demoralized the rest of the Peloton. <laughs> it, that's a hard race to be solo, too, because it's a three, maybe four lane wide road. It's a four corner crit. There's no elevation change or gain. So it's just you never stop pedaling. So like kudos to Melanie for for just putting in the hard miles clearly during the winter. Yeah, she's uh, she's been doing this for a long time and she has an unbelievable work ethic. So, um, yeah, it's it's paying off, obviously. <laughs> she also has a great Instagram handle at passed by a girl. I love it. So let's let's switch gears. Talk about Toad Tour of America's Dairyland. It, it started for non-juniors Thursday of last week, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It took the day off on Sunday. We're recording here on Monday night, so there was a fifth day of racing. You're now up in Green Bay or Manitowoc. I'm sure Dalton Collins and his dad will both be ashamed at my Wisconsin pronunciations. What I thought is neat, and I didn't know this about Toad, in looking at the way that they stack the races, you do a lot of back-to-back days. So it's like two days in Janesville, two days in Manitowoc, but they don't do the same course. They may do the same outline, but they'll do it backwards or they'll add another feature in it. I think that's genius. It's a way to double the racing without doubling the cost of moving stuff around. Yeah, I think they did a really good job. So I think what happened is some of the permits fell through with other cities. And so they got creative and figured out a way to make it work so that they can have as many days of racing as possible, but also keep it interesting for the racers. And I know Janesville in particular loves this event. And they always scoop together a pretty insane amount of preems. Like it's also called Preemsville because they just the whole town and all the businesses there really get behind the event and try to support the racers and the event as much as possible. So it made sense that there were two days there. This race has not only a Cat 2-3 men's field, it also has a Cat 2-3 women's field. And I think that's super cool. And I know that on the men's side, at least, there is a separate Cat 2 competition within the Cat 1-2 race. And there's a jersey that gets handed out to the best Cat two who's in the field and if 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 the stories are true brad soner the the announcer does a really great job of kind of like drumming up the fans and drumming up the support for that cat two competition you know it's going to be hard to talk about all five days but can we talk maybe about who's lighting it up on the women's side right now like who are the women who are who have clearly come to wisconsin ready to race I think worthy of being mentioned is Emily Ehrlich. Uh, She went off the front really early on day one and just stayed there the entire race, which is a pretty ballsy move um, going into a really long series like this. And then Michaela McPherson, she's killing it. I think she's at amateur nationals now, but she every pretty much every preem she was gunning for it. And she had some really solid results while she was here. And was definitely a marked rider by uh, by Saturday. <laughs> and then, of course, Instafund. Uh, tonight, they went one, two, and four. So that's incredibly impressive that they were all there at the finish. And they've been pre-hunting and getting good results. So, yeah, all very exciting stuff. 
So I have gotten the inside scoop on the hashtag shitheads on tour that Harriet has been putting up there on Instagram. I actually just cornered her DM wise and said, okay, what's the story? Her teammate, Rachel, both of them are British, so they've got a very British sense of humor. Her teammate, after she had uh, hit her head and gotten a concussion a few months ago, came up to her one day and says, well, how is your shit head? I'm referring to Harry and the concussions, and hence the name Shitheads on Tour was born. Tonight, Harriet finally takes the first top step of the podium that she's had since getting injured, I think. So it's really great to see her back there, and Rachel is clearly doing a good job. On the men's side, I gotta say, it looks like it's the Clever Martinez from Rockland's Racing Show. He's won two or three races at this point in time now. One of his teammates, Cesar Marte, has been finishing either first or second when he hasn't been winning. But there is a name out there that we haven't talked about yet this year who's suddenly found his way after having a a kind of a scary moment at Tulsa where he collapsed. But Dante Young, he's back there on the podium again. The guy's back. How cool is it to see these names start to get recycled and repeated, keeping in mind that the name Celine Oberholzer is starting to get repeated in the top five, too. We can't escape the fact that you've been on that wide-angle podium a few times this week. I'm doing my best. <laughs> Can I also just add Matilda Reynolds, since she is leading the series on the women's side, um, and I think she's doing a really good job. All of Fearless Femme is doing a really good job um, since CWA and Instafund are not making it easy for anyone. I enjoy Fearless Femme when they show up at the races. They bring so much like joy and fun and happiness and in some cases really cool accents that can, you know, you know, compensate for mine. What's the rest of the week look like? Uh, The rest of the week, we have one more day in Manitowoc, and then everything is going to be more Milwaukee-based after that, which I'm looking forward to because we're located a bit closer to the remainder of the races. There is, I think, Downer is one of the days, and that one has like a massive preem. I think there's like a $5,000 preem every year, so I know people are going to be gunning for that as well. Um, So there's that to look forward to. And maybe some fresh legs coming in this week and this weekend, since there were a lot of riders at nationals um, who weren't here for the last uh, four or five days. What are you going to do when you win the $5,000 preem? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, <laughs> probably make some investments. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That is great. Well, Celine, thank you so much, and we'll check in with you next week to see how it all plays out. Okay, back with Bill and with Bodie talking about the men's race. You know, Michael, you previewed that the field here at Pro Nationals was different than the field in Tulsa. I'm going to hazard a guess to say that the field at Tulsa, 150 guys strong, was probably one of the strongest criterium fields in American bike racing, in American bike racing history. It was stacked with the best crit racers possible. When we go to Knoxville, when you include all of Project Echelon, 
evil, a wildlife generation, elevate. You have now the best bike racers in America. Because some of these teams don't specialize just in crit racing. ButcherBox is a crit racing team. That's great. We love them for it. Automatic is a crit racing team. But when you get down to it, there was even a, 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 a Trek bike rider that I saw at the front occasionally. So a world tour rider. Don't know how he ended up, but whatever. We don't need to talk about him anymore. Obviously, Legion came to Nationals for a coronation. What they ended up getting was a bike race. We, as the fans, were the ones who benefited the most from that. How amazing was it to watch teams just say, no, we are not going to let this be Tulsa version two. Did they? Did they? I mean, I I think that Legion for 95% of the race did their thing. Sure, Evolo throwing down hammers. Gage hecked, cyclocross, national champion, going on an attack. That's what he's going to do. That was their game plan, Evolo's game plan. As you said, they race crits. They're not a crit racing team. They, they've got other goals in mind. But I think... At the end, though, it came down to a group sprint, and and we had wildlife up at the front. You had best buddies there, but it was still Legion's race to win. I never saw Corey Williams' face until the last five laps. So I, I think that even though there was excitement and there were attacks and there was actually breakaways, it was going to come down to the Legion train in the sprint, and it it pretty much was going to be a coronation, except for the one black hole on the course where the crash happened that no one has seen. I mean, like, look, okay, let me let me tell you one of my emotions Friday night. Anger. I was upset. I had been waiting for this race. This The tension had been building with Crit Beef coming into Nats. This is Crit Nats. We've had a packed season and usually we have races in the spring, but we just went bam, 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 third week, crit gnats, and it was electrifying before, so I was ready for it. And the biggest event in the bike race was not on camera. We didn't know what happened other than that Corey went down and the Legion plan did not come to fruition. We had a upstart uh, winning. I mean, he's a, he's a bike racer. He's got he's got Palmares. But like, the, I felt let down i felt i felt unresolved like i needed to know why that happened and the fact that the cameras didn't cover it made me mad maybe that makes me irrational i don't know but i felt that like it's just such a big thing and we were let down as fans well bill you've been to the biggest races not just in the country but in the world in multiple disciplines road, mountain bike, cyclocross, downhill, you've seen high production value broadcasts roll out. Was this a high production value broadcast? It does, Even if it was the highest production value broadcast in the world, it doesn't matter because they, they screwed it up. It, it, and I, I'm sorry, and I'm, I'm friends with people who worked in the production truck for this race. They, they weren't happy about it either, believe me, but there were also decisions that were made before the race started that were bad decisions. Like where the finish line camera was, was an awful, awful decision. And it's, you know, cause you had that downhill and then coming into the finish, 
the speeds are super high. You can't put a camera right near the finish line and expect to, to capture everything. It's just going to be a bad angle. And then just to have that, where, what Michael's saying, just that, that, that empty space on a crit course, I, I don't, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like that should happen. There should be at this point, And Michael and I personally with two people have done this at a cyclocross race where we covered the whole course. How did we do it? We had stationary cameras set up like all over the course. And then we were running around with cameras as well. This is a two person operation and we covered the whole race. So why you can't put a GoPro or something similar to that? They have, they have these small cameras you could set up. You can attach it to the barrier on every corner. You, you could have the whole course covered at least so that if your primary cameras aren't in position, you still have this other camera rolling. And, and then just to the, to, to the finish. And it, it was weird because it was the finish line camera. Plus, if you looked at all the finish line pictures, I, I don't know what the, it seemed like USA Cycling, I don't want to bash USA Cycling, but where they had the photo corral for the finish way too close to the finish line. And it just, it stinks. It stinks because, you know, in the women's race for Kendall and in the men's races, we'll get to for Luke. Yes. Having that Jersey is everything. But if you're a sponsor of that team, one of the most important assets you want from that is your racer raising their hands up, showing off their kit before they get the national Jersey with all of the sponsors on it, with national championships on the truss above we didn't get that. I mean, they got cheated out of that. And that, that's the kind of thing production wise. that I just like, it's just such a dropped ball. You know, they fixed it, the road race course, different place. And we didn't have those issues, but then just to miss all of that and miss the action. I just, yeah, I, I, I agree with Michael and I was just com- completely let down on it. It was setting up perfectly what he was talking about with Corey. I think that is a, it is a broadcaster crutch, but at the same time, I think it's absolutely right when they will pick out a rider and say, Hey, we haven't seen so-and-so all race, or we haven't called so-and-so's name all race. And that was Corey Williams. And you did not hear his name at all. You know, you saw other riders out there. You saw Travis McCabe who looked like he was not having a good day because he was on the attack. And I think that we've all seen enough bike races that when you get a desperate rider who is pegged to win, when they start going off the front, you know that, oh, this may may not be may not be his day. Yeah, and Travis definitely at Tulsa the second night at Tulsa was animating the race. And a lot of us who were watching it were asking ourselves, why is he doing that now? Is this desperation? Is this just somebody who doesn't know a better plan than that and is throwing Hail Marys? especially against a team like Legion that, you know, to stick with my football analogy, runs the ball a lot. They they run the ball a lot. They control, control, control. And this is where I'm going to disagree with Michael. Legion lost control. Yes, they regained it, but they lost control of that race. You saw the six or seven Legion riders up there at the front at lap number two. I can't tell you what happened on lap number one because coverage didn't cover it. It just... You know, the first second of camera shot was after the riders had already started. So that's a missed opportunity. I mean, where are your tire pictures? I mean, that's what bike ah. racing is all about, those tire pictures, right? But you saw them up there with the full train, 
in place, and then you saw the attacks, but they were coming coordinated. It was always a Volo Project Echelon, a Volo Project Echelon. And part of the issue is, and, and to, to go back to Michael's point about Gage, who did Gage go up the road with? He went up the road with Project Echelon's Steven Vogel, the guy who has cracked the code on Legion, who won at Armed Forces, finished fourth the first night, winning the second day. Gage went up there with him. That is three-star, four-star alarm bells going off. Legion better start acting and reacting. And Legion got put under pressure. They lost a rider early. You saw him drift to the back and out. You know, they started to shed their riders. And once you start to isolate Legion and you start to isolate those riders, that running play isn't necessarily going to work. You're going to have to go with something else. To see that develop over time, and this is where I'm going with this, is not to talk about necessarily specific points of strategy, but about 45 minutes in, you saw a seven-person breakaway develop. Two Avola riders, two Project Echelon riders. That was the moment that Legion lost control. And that was the moment that things got very interesting. And it leads to the question, 60-minute crits, too short. Too short for the best crits in the country. This was 75. I would say you need to move it to 90 because otherwise it's going to be predictable. Otherwise it's going to end in a Legion coronation or the coronation of somebody like that. When this race got interesting is when the riders got put under pressure on the front. And so cyclocross races, 60 minutes for the men. I don't think that's long enough, but then again, I haven't raced cross in a long time. For the for the crit races, it needs to be 90. It almost needs to be two hours for a national championship. You know, you had a six-hour road race. How can you not have a two-hour crit? No. Bodie, you got some hot takes there. I've been seeing a lot of head shaking. And then we'll go to Bill because I'm getting I'm getting the pen wagged at me, which means that he's been taking notes. <laughs> I, no, I just, I, I mean, okay, I could maybe see two hours for the national championship, but I think the hour and a half uh, is is a pretty good spot. I think I, Clarendon Cup Sunday, two and a half hours, too long. That's too, it's too long for me as the fan. I don't want to watch a two and a half hour crit. I want to watch an hour to an hour and a half, hour, 75 minutes. I like that. Um, two hours is too long. Nobody used to watch mountain biking. Cross-country mountain biking pretty much died in the early 2000s because it may have been challenging for the racers. They may have trained for two, two and a half hour races, three hour races when they went off into the woods and no one could see them. And then they came back and, you know, it was a great feat of athletic performance. It was boring. I'll watch it. Red Bull comes in and they say, hey, we're going to change things up and we're going to make this fun for people on TV to watch this race. Cross country mountain bike races now are an hour and 15 minutes long for the men and the women. Purists completely hate it. They say it doesn't challenge the athletes enough. It's not real mountain biking. I don't give a crap. It's fun to watch. It's exciting the whole time. It's, it's compelling. So if it has to be 90 minutes, that's fine. When you're getting two hours and you're asking me to sit in front of my TV and watch that. And that ultimately is the goal here. That's where, you have to find that balance between the race itself and what might be the best race on paper for racers to get them tired enough and determine a winner versus 
who you're kind of going to try to attract to watch this. If, if you want to make it into these ultra running races where they don't allow media and don't allow uh, to spectators and they go off and they don't even tell you where the race is going to be until like a week before. And then everybody shows up in some remote location and go right, you know, runs 200 miles barefoot. Fine. You can do that. But I don't think that's what you're trying to build here. I think what you're trying to build here is something that everybody is going to be engaged in, that there is going to be pressure to go hard from the beginning, not have lulls in the race. That's what Michael and I talk about a lot with cyclocross, where you can look at the men's race. I think you're ridiculous to say that 60 minutes isn't long enough because a lot of times the men take a couple laps off in the middle where the women are looking at these 50 minute, 45 minute races, sometimes 40, they don't know that. And it is urgency. And they're like, we have to go full gas the whole time because these officials are idiots and they may end the race after 27 minutes for all we know. So we have to be at the front, but it builds that urgency. And I think that's, that's something that you want. Does that change how crit racing looks today versus how it looked 20 years ago? Yeah, maybe. But is it going to be more exciting and is it going to bring in more people from the outside who aren't these purists to watch and enjoy? I, I would argue yes. So here, we let's get to the end first and then we'll work our way backwards. The end is Luke Lamperti winning in a chaotic last 300 meters from Trinity Racing, followed by Sam Bassetti and Eric Young of Elevate. John Heinlein from Project Echelon finishes fourth. And Eric Bruner of AU Volo finishes in, in fifth. So that rounds out your, your full wide-angle podium. What we need to talk about is how things devolved. So after that 45-minute mark, after that 50-minute mark, when Legion lost control, when other teams started to come to the front, you started to see not just AU Volo and Project Echelon, but Wildlife and Elevate bringing a lot of guys to the front. They kept keeping four or five guys up there. They kept keeping active, but there suddenly became, and I don't know when the word respect or disrespect got brought into bike racing. I think it's being misused in the term of bike racing, but A. Volo, Project Echelon, Wildlife, and most importantly, Elevate did not care about the hype of Legion, the Palmars of Legion, what had happened the week before. They were there to race. They were there to contest. They were there to put people in not harm's way, but to make the race as hard as it could be in those last couple of laps. And that's what ended up happening. This was the first in a long time that I have seen the last 300 or 500 meters of a crit that Legion was a part of not be a parade. It's a very fast moving parade, but you can't get those photos like you had at Tulsa where it's Ty Williams, Ty Magner in the background, raising their arms with nobody around them when Corey is up at the front winning or the double posed, you know, fingers on the mouth, silencing the crowd and the critics of Justin and, and Corey on the first night of Tulsa, unless you had it completely locked down 300 meters before then. So now you go into these final corners, these critical corners where there is competition and you go into the black hole and we don't know what happens in the black hole. But what we know is leading into that, Wildlife and Elevate both were not giving any ground. And I think that's where we get into trouble. So Mike, I know you've put the, the Zabruder 
film together. You've tried to piece it together. What happened in those last couple of hundred meters? You know, why did it end up with Corey going to the deck off the wheel of an Avola rider with Travis McCabe hitting him and then Brandon Fury of Project Echelon doing the most amazing airtime that somebody doesn't want to do of their bike completely upside down. You know, what are we seeing in those last couple hundred meters? So I think it's interesting what you just said. And I, I think I think what sets up this chaos in that last those last corners is the nature of this course. And because it's so wide at that that drag up to that uh third corner turn that in the past weekend, you really couldn't bring your train around Legion. There was no room. But I thought was you did see Elevate really kicked it off. Eric Young and Bassetti going up that hill just as hard as they could. And what I thought was super interesting because they they got nothing out of Tulsa, right? Uh, I think in 2019, Sam Bassetti won the overall at Tulsa. I think if I'm if I'm correct. Um, or maybe it's 2018, but they, they have a good record there. And this year they had nothing. Uh, the team just was not there. So to see them come back the next weekend and, and making a charge at the end, they, they were the first riders into that, that third corner. Um, wildlife was making a move on the outside, but Corey was right. The Corey was third wheel going up that to the second turn with the Avolo guy on his wheel. And I, took three different camera angles, Brendan Rims, GoPro, some fan on the side in the broadcast and tried to piece it together. But you just, there is no evidence. I can see Corey falling, but I have not found any evidence why he went down. Something happened between him and Scott McGill. We don't know. Uh, those two guys know, and I haven't heard them say. But, you know, what What happens is that Luke Lamperti shoots the gap. He He takes advantage of the situation. And he wins. But the thing is, and I went back and watched the race, is he was he was there. He was riding Legion's train. He races with them in California. He knows what's up. He didn't just luck into that victory. He put himself in the position and missed a Project Echelon guy who dropped his chain, just almost got taken out. And he ends up winning the national championship. I think that what we said about the the black hole, we still, at the end of the day, we we got an amazing ending to this race. I don't know how you could have scripted. So Luke's going to be on the show next week. That's great. I didn't know anything about him going into this. Trinity Racing is somebody that we know. Bill, do you think that the way that this race ended with the favorites, Travis and Corey, hitting the deck and the chaos that ensued, detracts in any way, shape, or form from the accomplishment of this 18-year-old California resident? Oh, not at all. Not at all. I mean, this is, is, I mean, as a spectator, this is, I don't want anybody to crash, but I don't want to, I don't want to know who won before the race is raced. I want, I want there to be, you know, this kind of drama. I want there to be, I love chaos. I love chaos in races. Again, not the crashing. I love that's why I love the uh, the cycling guild. I think a lot of those apprentices are now journeymen. I think they all uh, were able to move up uh, just in this this uh, event alone because they were dynamic. The women's race was so much fun to watch them, and they they just caused chaos on 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 the 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 men's side as well. You you had you have these these guys in there that just just try to mix things up and try to 
try to change it around. And, and Michael is exactly right. Luke Lombardi was not one of these guys. He was just settled in. Again, nobody knew to call his name, but we didn't hear his name the whole race. And I think there are a lot of people who don't know who this guy is. As you said, you're going to have him on the show, so you're going to learn all about him. But I will just say as a, as a sort of a, an appetizer towards this, he didn't come out of nowhere. He was on Lux, you know, before he signed with Trinity. If you go back to Hagerstown, to the amateur crit nationals in 2019, he was second only to his teammate, that Trek rider that I guess we're not talking about. So it's not like he's coming out of nowhere. Megan Jastrap also on Lux. This is a all-star team that knows how to race crits. Uh, on Trinity, yeah, it's a whole different situation. It's a great situation. That team, I love that team. It's still a Devo team, but it has athletes who are able to race at the highest level in the world without the pressure. They're a specialized team without the pressure of being on factory teams and having to perform. They can still develop. And you look at them, Blevins going to the Olympics, Haley Batten going to the Olympics, Luke Lamperti winning USA Crit Nats. I mean, it's that team. You have to look at that little team and say they are one of the most successful teams in the world right now for what they've done for these development riders. So to say that it's just some fluke, this kid has a pedigree. He knows how to win races. He knows how to, you can look through his whole, he's won, I think he won some stage race in, in Europe already. Again, you'll get all that information and fix my mistakes next week, but he is somebody. So was I, was I, did I think it took away? No. And if I look at this, everybody's pissed. Everybody is hungry. Justin, you know, had to sort of clean up the timeline there and take the walk back some comments that maybe went a little too far, but you know, underneath it still hurts. And he still want, he still thinks his brother should have won that race. And he has already said he's taken it out on everybody else this season. Awesome. I am here for it. I can't wait. And it's the fans and the commentators of that. We get to benefit from this. Guys, thank you so much for breaking this down. Can't wait to have you on again. Michael, I've got some thin crust pizza here. You want to dig into it? Only if it has Provel cheese on it. Oh, no. That stuff's garbage. Guys, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com is the place where you can find out all that you want. Next week, we've got Toad coverage, and we also have Luke Lamperte from Trinity Racing to talk to us about his win at ProCrit Nationals. He'll be here next week. So please join us here again next time for more from our Criterium Nation. The Slow Ride Podcast. Three idiots who are usually wrong. The Slow Ride Podcast. The titanium of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. It's like if David Vanderpool had a podcast. The Slow Ride Podcast. The Zwift Racing of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Find the real advice. The Slow Ride Podcast. The arrow helmet of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast. Sport leader coming through. The Slow Ride Podcast. When's Lance gonna sue us? The Slow Ride Podcast. The experts in French cycling. The Slow Ride Podcast. Official Fan Experience Zone on Facebook. The Slow Ride Podcast, the gravel bike of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, both vertically and horizontally compliant. The Slow Ride Podcast.
new episodes every Tuesday.